Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. I want to kind of pick up where I left off last week. How many were here last week? Can I see just a wave of hands really quick? Um, we were talking about really the vision of the church. It took me 10 months to get there to talk about the vision of the church, but I felt it is timely to talk about what that slogan is um, at the front whenever you walk in the door on those side lights. It says, reaching up, reaching forward, reaching out. Everybody say that. Reach up, reach forward, and reach out. And the cool thing is, is I'm, I have really given this a whole lot of thought and I want to communicate this message in a way that is not only, not only applicable to the vision and DNA of the church, but hoping that it really reaches you where you're at in your personal lives. Amen? So uh, before we really get into it and I pick up where I left off, I want to read a scripture. It is a little bit lengthy. Uh, it is about 20 verses, but if you'll just bear with me, I would so appreciate it. It's found in Acts chapter 9. It's starting at verse 1 uh, through 20. And it will be up on the screens if you do not have your Bible or your, or your phones. Let's begin reading. One, two, three. Then Saul, meaning Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked letters from him to go to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who was of the way, meaning were Christians, that's a big W there, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. But as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him. Everybody say, a light from heaven. Come on, wake up this morning. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, this is Jesus saying this to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, the Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said to the Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, having heard the voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. In other words, he was blinded by the light. Sounds like a song to me. For all of you old rock and rollers, blinded by the light. He was blinded by the light, and he saw no one. But they led him hand by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord came to him in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So he said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel." For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You know what's interesting to me as I close in the next couple of verses? It's interesting to me that God is powerful enough to give him this vision and speak to him and show him this great marvelous light. Yet God's seen it fit to send a man of God to lay hands on him for him to not only receive his sight, but to baptize him and fill him with the Holy Spirit. That just goes to show us that God is looking for partnership. He doesn't do everything on his own. He uses vessels to get his work accomplished. Amen? Interesting to note that. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized so that when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. How many know who this is? This is the apostle Paul who in the next uh, book of the Bible, which would be Romans, everybody say Romans. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, all of these great amazing books is written by a murderer of Christians who had just had this encounter with the Lord. Interesting. But before I really dive into that, I want to kind of touch base last week and then I want to kind of expound on this very long, laborious scripture that I just read you. Last week, we learned a little bit about what the vision was all about, right? We talked about without a vision, the people perish. Say the people perish. So if you're going to go somewhere in life, you have, a, have to have a vision for that thing. You have to have a plan. The Bible says, write the vision down that he who reads it may run with it. So we've been talking about you know, reaching up, reaching forward, and reaching out, and how it applies to our personal lives. If you could simply put that up on the screen if it's not up there already. Reach up simply speaks of, of last week's sermon, which was intimacy. Reach out, the subtitle was intimacy, meaning intimacy with Jesus. How important our connection is with Jesus. I didn't say a religion, I said Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Because you can have religion and not have a relationship with Jesus. You can come to church and have an experience here at church, but not experience Jesus on a regular basis on your, in and on your everyday lives, right? As you kind of go about your work day or you're raising kids at home and paying bills. But God wants you to have an intimate relationship with him in all that you do, amen? Not just experiencing him at church, but experience him in every facet of your life. Intimacy also speaks of identity, relationship, sonship, and encounter. Today, I want to talk about encountering the Lord. Amen? If you look up on the screen, you kind of see what our logo is. That logo there is an arrow, right? Everybody say an arrow. There's three lines that surround that arrow, and that speaks of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Actually, there was someone actually a part of the church who kind of pointed that out to me. I thought that was really neat. And that arrow just points up, meaning we are to reach up, right? We want to talk about going upward today. And one of those things that we go up, how we go up is by climbing the mountain of the Lord. I've been thinking about Moses and how Moses climbed the mountain of the Lord. And there was this moment, and actually Kelly mentioned this this morning, there was a moment as he ascended to that mountain, he got to a level in his relationship with the Lord that he had not been before. Because there's a bottom of a mountain, there's a top of a mountain. Salvation is at the bottom of the mountain, where you understand that you're saved. We're all saved in this room, I would like to think, right? Amen. Somebody say amen to that. I would like to think that everybody is saved and going to heaven, whoever professes Jesus. But that's level one. But there is a time in your life where God is calling you to a higher level in him, where you are to encounter him. 
I didn't say church, encounter church, because you can encounter church, you can encounter reading your Bible, but not actually encounter the Lord. There's people who might be in this room who have been been serving the Lord for 15 or 20 years, and their hearts are unmoved, even in services like this. But God is calling us all as a corporate body, and one of the visions of this church is that very thing. He's calling us upward into not only an intimate relationship with him, but to encounter him on an everyday basis. Now, I have to say this. There is a generation that's arising all over the globe, and they label themselves as Christians, and they would say, right, that they are, but they hang their hat on encounters and manifestations. At some point in your life, you're not going to have encounters with the Lord every single day. There are times in your life where God simply wants you to rely on the truth of his word and not um, encounters not these specific moments where God appears to you in a dream or there's some kind of encounter like Paul had here. He wants you to just be able to rely on the truth and the fact that he is God and he is God alone. He's alive and he is well. He's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can't rely on manifestations. That being said, we are believers, right? Everybody in here is a believer. The Bible is laced, and throughout the Bible, it talks about believers who are followers of Christ having these um, daily um, encounters with the Lord, angels being something that is of normal, right? Encounter speaks of God putting just a little bit of his super on your natural life, right? Where God is answering your prayers, where your heart is being moved, where the scriptures are jumping off of the page and wrapping its arms around your heart and you feeling a sense and an awareness of God that you would not have otherwise experienced if you didn't read the word of God. Amen? Everybody say encounter. As a young boy, I had this keen awareness. Always I had this super sensitivity. You can ask my mom. I used to cry a lot. I know you can't tell I was a softie, but I really, really was. I still am quite a bit of a softie. Things would move me really easily. I would get depressed really easy. I would be really sensitive to people. I could read people extremely well. I could, you know, that just that judgment thing, we call it having good judgment, but I think I like to call it that sixth sense, that, that spiritual, that knowing, I call it my knower, the third eye. Uh, I got a little sign in the back from somebody. They said the third eye. And, um, And I always had this real sensitivity and this keen awareness of the Lord. And I'm going to share some things with you I've never shared publicly ever. I'm actually kind of nervous about it. I would be in in places and God would just mess with me. I would kind of just feel his presence and I would hear his voice. I would be hanging out with people I knew I shouldn't hang out with and in relationships I knew I shouldn't be engaged in and going places I know that I knew better being And I would always have this nudge. I would always have this conviction. But when I was nine years old, I lost my dad. My dad was murdered when I was nine. And so that sent my life spiraling. My my mom um, was kind of just doing her thing in life. And she was trying to raise, you know, four kids as best, the best way she knew how. To make a long story short, I totally went astray. By the age of 15, I was living on the streets, didn't live with my mom. Actually, didn't even know where my mom lived at that time. I was just an extremely typical rebellious teen, but a wounded one at that. And, um, but I would still always have these little encounters, but I was angry at God, very angry at him. I was angry that, that my dad was murdered, didn't have a dad grown up, never knew what it was like to toss a football around or toss a ball or good job, son, you're doing great. I'm proud of you. Never really had those words, but I always felt this affirming voice following me, letting me know that God was with me. 
That led me into a lifestyle that really spiraled out of control, got on drugs and alcohol. And for about five years, and this is the reason why I had a difficulty sharing it. Some people say there's power in a testimony. Everybody say there's power in testimony. While at the same time, about five years of my life, I spent dealing drugs. I know that's hard for you to believe that your pastor dealt drugs for five years, but I did. And, but God used that in my life to bring me to my wit's end. And I've hurt a lot of families. I, I did a lot of wrong to people, made a lot of horrible decisions. And one night, I did something pretty terrible. I, I won't go into the details of it. There's no time for that. But the, the short of the story is, is um, we didn't get on a high-speed chase. But I did go on this, um, I went to this store, I was driving with someone, and as I'm on my way back to this house, the helicopter shows up over the car. You guys are going to freak out a little bit, is this okay? The helicopter shows up over the car, and as you'd see on a high-speed chase, that's exactly what it was. The helicopter beam was beaming through the car, lighting up the car. They followed me for about two miles and I finally end up at the destination. I sit in the car. I tell the individual who's driving to get out of the car. I said, this is it. This is the end of the road for me. I believe I had drugs on me. I was drinking. I was high. I was all these things just at a dead-end road in my life. And I was sleeping in an abandoned house at that time. And uh, it was actually over here in Orlando. And she gets out of the car. And I, I thought to myself, you know, this is going to be a rescue for me. There's people who wanted to kill me. They were threatening me with guns and saying they were going to do things to me. And I was like, Lord, this is a rescue. Getting me off the streets is, is a blessing in disguise. So I sat in the car. What seemed like 10 minutes was probably about 30 seconds. So I make my way. They, they take the light off of the car and put the beam on the house across the street that I was staying in, this abandoned house and this abandoned car. Um, I can remember turning on the AC. There was no AC, but the, it would start. It was up on bricks, but the car would start. We'd turn the AC on as high as you can go to keep the bugs from eating you to death at night. So they're pointing at this house. And uh, when they did that, I got out of the car and I ran. I ran to the back of this house. It had a wheelbarrow. Everybody's eyes are really big right now. They're all anticipating where this is going to go. This is why it's taken me so long. And I pull this wheelbarrow over me. I'm in this shed, like, but it doesn't have doors. And I can hear all the cop cars stopping and skirting their tires. All the streets were lit up with red and blue lights. And I, in that moment, I wasn't afraid. I heard the dogs. The dogs were only for about me to maybe Matt, maybe several dogs. You hear all the dogs barking. You can tell the street is lit up. It seemed like all of Orange County was there. In that moment, you would think I would be afraid and crying and like, Lord, you know what I'm going to do, but I didn't. And in that moment, I will never forget. I had this encounter that radically changed my life in an instant. Some people get jailhouse religion. Some people find the Lord at the altar. Well, I found the Lord under a wheelbarrow with all of Orange County after me. And so I have this wheelbarrow over me. And in an instant, I'm caught up in a vision. And immediately, immediately I see two roads in this vision. One, a very dark road, black. You can't see anything. It looked very eerie. But on the right side, there was this light. And I felt peace and I felt joy. And I heard this voice. I thought I was hallucinating because I was on drugs and things of that nature. But I see it as clear as I'm seeing you. And I heard the Lord say this. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. And then he says this. 
I lay before you life and death, blessing and curses. You choose. And in that instant, I remember choosing life. I said, Lord, I choose life. I could still hear all the commotion around me. They should have found me. I was only feet away from them. They end up finding the other guys that I was with. And um, long story short, they were looking for me. I'd never served a day in jail ever. Never, never have I ever been to jail. I don't have a record. My record is squeaky clean. But I knew from that instant, I didn't get caught that night. I did not get caught. But something shed off of me, something like scales, like Paul. Paul was a murderer of Christians. But I had these spiritual scales on my eyes, immediately as if I was awakened to the purposes of God and the plan that he had for me. I began to realize that the reason the enemy attacked my life so heavily was because I had a calling on my life. I want to say to someone who in here who might have a friend, a family member, a spouse, or uh, whether, whoever, whoever it might be, the reason that they're under such attack is because of the plan of God on their life. Amen? The best thing you could do for that person would be to pray for them. My brother was serving. Uh, he was facing 30 years as a, as a habitual offender, and um, he ended up getting off on 13 months in, in jail. Unbeknownst to me, he was praying for me, and he was getting radically encountered in jail, not knowing that his brother was under a wheelbarrow at the time and getting a radical encounter with the Lord. So you keep praying for that spouse. You keep praying for that loved one. No matter how far they are, they cannot outrun the Lord. His arm is not too short that he can't reach. Amen? And so the long story short is this. When I had that moment happen to me, when I walked into the first church, I didn't understand church. I didn't understand religion. I would go in tank tops to the front altar, all of my tattoos showing. I didn't understand etiquette. I can't even fathom doing that now, right? But I didn't understand any of the etiquette. But one thing I knew is I knew that God was real and that he was able, and I knew that I could not settle for anything less than a radical relationship with Jesus. Too many people settle for less. And that's one of my first points I want to drive home this morning in this sermon surrounding encounter with the Lord. We as a church body have settled far too long for, uh, on a watered-down Christianity that produces no power. It's only got words. Amen? So one of my first points is don't settle for anything less than God's best for you. Do not settle for coming to church every single Sunday and just getting maybe a word and an encouraging word for you to survive for six days and then come back to the seventh day and do it all over again. God has much more of a plan for your life than just survival. He wants you to thrive in life. Amen. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants you to encounter him on a daily basis. He wants you to feel the strength of his arm he wants you to know him intimately. Amen? Everybody say, don't settle. Don't settle. I thought about this settling thing because Paul was a murderer of Christians, but after his encounter, he was a guy who was willing to die underneath a, um, a guillotine for his faith. This man who was once a murderer of Christians, once he had this encounter, he was never the same. I remember after I woke up out of this encounter and everything was gone, the streets were completely silent. The next day, I got rid of all of my drugs. I threw them all away. I flushed them. I did something, and never have I ever turned back. There was no 12-step program. There was a one-step, and that was an encounter with Jesus, and I have never looked back since. A one-step. Now, I still believe that there can be 12-step programs and things that God can use, but once you have an encounter with Jesus, you experience a love affair, you experience a love that you have never experienced before, nothing, ha nothing else has any place or power in your life. Amen? 
And so I want to talk about one of the visions of this church is encounter. That's why we started this church, not just to have a regular church service to, to, to uh, maybe consume some of our time on a Sunday morning. We want to create a place whereby people encounter Jesus face to face, maybe not physically, but even spiritually, so that they are changed and transformed and so that they are empowered to impact the city, empowered to impact their families, empowered and in, impactful in their own personal lives so that they can accomplish the things that God would call them to. Amen? And when a true believer has an encounter with the Lord, there is no need for further persuasion. I see so many Christians these days that are, that are ready to backslide because they can't pay their bills. I, I, I can tell you this, that when I had that encounter with the Lord, this thing can sustain me for the rest of my life. I know that what I seen, what I heard, and what I felt in that moment is going to carry me through for the rest of my life. And religion is not enough. Just reading your Bible is not enough. All those things are great. But let me tell you this. Supernatural encounters in the Bible were normal. They were not abnormal. These days we treat dreams and visions as abnormal. We treat encounters with the Lord as something that might happen once in a lifetime. I remember when Matt was telling me about his encounter with Jesus. I was really jealous. <laughs> I really was. And I still am jealous. <laughs> He says he, you know, I'll let him tell the story, but he had this radical encounter that I, um, my story certainly can't compare to, but I, I do remember um, having a dream and I was really desiring full-time ministry. And this was a few years ago. And in this dream, the Lord actually came to me. This has happened only one time in my life. The Lord appeared to me once in a dream and it was his entire face. And he, in this dream, I see the Lord reach out to me. And he reaches his hand, and I can't tell you a whole lot about his features, but I can tell you this, his eyes are very captivating. It's almost like you can't, Matt was telling me he was able to kind of look at his fingers and his nails. Well, his eyes were so captivating, it was that lion and lamb type of thing. This fire in his eyes, this, this passion and this love and this reverence that you have for him. So I couldn't kind of check out his features and what he really looked like. But I do remember a short beard and I remember how captivating his eyes were. And he reached out his hand and he touched me. And I woke up out of my sleep and it felt like I'd put my finger in a 220 socket. And I was shocked. I literally felt power all over me. In that moment, it was as if I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that he had put something in me and equipped me for the ministry. Amen? These are the kind of encounters I'm talking about. As a believer, we should expect God to encounter us in supernatural ways. How many people are tired of surviving from week to week and barely surviving, not having any encounters with the Lord? It's going to take a supernatural encounter to save that marriage. It's going to take a supernatural encounter if you're going to accomplish that thing in your life. That dream, that vision, that thing that, that is in your heart, it can't be walked out in the flesh. Amen? How many times have we tried to do things in our own strength, in our own flesh, and it come to nothing? God is wanting to supernaturally encounter us so that we can carry out his work here in the earth. When he called the disciples to go preach the gospel to the whole earth, how wild is that, right? Go preach the gospel to the whole earth, raise the dead, heal the sick, and do all these things. This is only accomplished by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, infusing the life of the believer, equipping them for what God has called them to. Amen? 
And so one of our visions here at the church is to provide a haven, to provide a hub whereby people come and get equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that they can go out and shake their city, so they can go out and shake their family so that they can go out and shake their workplace. I don't care if you are working in a cubicle. When you get empowered by the Holy Spirit, the atmosphere around you has to change. Things do not stay the same when God shows up through the believer's life. Amen? And so that's one of our visions. Amen? Let me ask you guys something. Does God want everybody saved? Does God want to rid the world of evil? Does he want to establish his kingdom here on earth? Well, what's taking him so long? So it's not a problem as to whether, God not, whether or not God wills it. The real question is, will you? Will you allow him to flow through your life? Will you allow him to encounter you in such a way? Will you open your heart and your life? Are you willing to rid yourself of things that, that take uh, precedence in your life over him? Are you willing to rid yourself so you can make room for him so that he can live his life in you and through you and establish the kingdom? Because God partners with humanity, just like he partnered with Ananias. So if God's gonna get something done, guess who he's gonna use? He's gonna use you. If God is gonna change that marriage, guess who he's gonna use? If God is gonna change that spouse, guess who he's gonna use? If God is gonna change that workplace, guess who he's gonna use? If God is going to change that boss that you're complaining about, guess who he's going to use? We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Amen? And so God is, God is going to do something. He's going to do it through vessels like us. Amen? Hallelujah. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to listen to this. When the original religious leaders addressed the apostles of the day that were creating havoc because they were Christians, they were preaching the gospel, do you know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they said this? They said, I can see that, I'll read it, it's in Acts 4.13 for your reference. It says, now when they had saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I thought about this the other day. Think about this with me, guys. Jesus did more in his absence than he did while he was here on the earth. When the Holy Spirit was released in the upper room, he consumed every believer's life that were there. There was 120 of them, and he impacted the world to a greater degree. That's when all the gospel really began to get out. Amen? So, so when we position ourselves in the Lord and the Holy Spirit fills the believer's lives, everything has to change. Amen? Now we got a bunch of little Jesuses running around, right? Because that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is not just residing in Jesus himself. Now he's in all the believers around the world who would call upon him and ask to be filled. Somebody say, fill me. You don't have to persuade that Jesus is in your life when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It will be evident. And it was evident to these Pharisees and Sadducees that they had been with Jesus. Amen? Point number two, if we're going to encounter the Lord, this may sound counterproductive, you have to fight for his presence. No more of this, uh, this calm Christianity where we come and sing two songs. This is why we spend time uh, singing three and four songs because we wanna exalt him. We wanna make him king. We, we know that when we lift Jesus up, that he will draw all men to himself. That's a scripture. It says, if I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself. 
So, you know, I know some people are thinking, why are they going to sing another song? Man, they're going to sing again. This is practice for the other side. It's, it's easy to think that way, but can I tell you, that's the flesh. Because there's nothing else that we're going to be doing in, he- in heaven except for exalting the Lord and the Lord empowering us to do, build his kingdom. So get used to it. Touch somebody and say, get used to it. Get used to it. And for, in 2 Chronicles, it says this. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This whole idea that God is going to do things by himself and shake the world by himself as we sit by and we, you know, go about our own business is false. That's erroneous. God uses people to shake the world. God uses people to get his work done. There's a cool operation that needs to take place between our heavenly father and our lives so that God can establish his will and his kingdom on the earth. But you have to fight for his presence, amen? When I'm sitting up here in the front and I'm clapping my hands, I I tell you guys this very often, I'm fighting for his presence. I'm gonna sound weird when I say this, but I oftentimes check my flesh in order to get in his presence. Oftentimes when I'm standing there, I'm thinking about a bill that needs to be paid. I'm thinking about things I have to do or places I need to you know, meet people at after service. What I'm doing is I'm commanding my flesh to get in its rightful place so that I can hear from heaven. I've got all these little interruptions. You need to do this. This has got to be accomplished. Oh, you got to leave for Guatemala. You got to pack. You got to do this. You got all this work to be done before you got to leave. So what I'm doing is I'm fighting for his presence by getting my flesh in place. I'm checking my flesh. I'm putting my mind on the Lord, and I say, Lord, I bind my mind to the mind of Christ. Lord, I thank you that I'm focused on you. You're worthy of my full attention right now. And so what I'm doing is I'm removing things in the atmosphere of my own life so that God's presence can enter in so that I can worship him in a way that's worthy of his sacrifice. Amen? That speaks of fighting for his presence. And sometimes it's not easy getting into his presence. I don't call it being fake trying to build the atmosphere. I call it just being productive. Amen? I call it just commanding the atmosphere, getting the atmosphere ready so it's conducive enough so somebody can encounter the Lord or encounter heaven. Amen? Somebody say encounter the Lord. Fight for his presence. Amen. And it says this in in Jeremiah 29, it says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Message Bible says it like this. Yes, when you're serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. That speaks of a fight. Look at somebody and say, fight for it. God's part is to show up. Our part is to fight for his presence and to pursue him. The Bible says that those who seek him diligently will be rewarded. There is a fight, amen? Sometimes you have to fight past the flesh. Sometimes you have to fight past the enemy if we're gonna see the presence of God show up in a room and change and transform us, amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wrote this down. We have to get serious about fighting for his presence. Oftentimes, he only reveals himself to the degree we fight for him. Amen? So I want you to think about how hard you fight for him. How, much, how many want God's presence in their lives? I want to see a show of hands. How many, I mean, really, how many want to encounter Jesus in a more radical way in their life? How many are dissatisfied with where they are in their relationship with the Lord? Amen. Does your fight, does your fight raise up to the level of that? So when we come here as a body on a Sunday morning, 
What level are you fighting for his presence? Amen? Sometimes we have to ask ourselves that. So we have to do our part and then God will do his. Amen? The enemy's goal is to get the believer tired and frustrated. Listen, I heard it said like this. If Satan can't corrupt you, he'll crown you. And listen, if he cannot get you to, to not, if he can get you, if he can't get you to stay home from church, what he'll do is he'll allow you here, but fight you and keep you from entering in God's presence. Or he will allow you to come to church, but yet keep you from entering in by putting all these crazy thoughts in your head, all these images, all your huge to-do lists so that though you might be here, you're really not here and you're not connecting. That is the enemy's goal. One of his other goals is if he, if he can't get you to do all that, he'll simply get you to be content in your relationship with the Lord. I just do this and go through the motions. He wants us to go through the motions. But I, I read a Bible that says we go from glory to glory and from faith to faith, from encounter to encounter. Amen? How many want to move on and move forward in their relationship with God? And we have to fight for his presence and not lower our expectations because the past four weeks, God didn't show up. When I oftentimes I meet with the leadership in the room, I often try to challenge them and I try to challenge myself. Do not lower your expectations. This could be the day for your miracle. This could be the day for your encounter. So we have to come in the sanctuary expectant that this could be the day that God breaks through in our lives and does something radical. And he fulfills that certain promise in your life that you've been believing and contending for. I don't care how many years you have been praying. If you haven't seen the promise come to pass, know that if it's God's will, and it indeed is if it's in your heart, because that will desire means king, sire. It means it's something the king put in you. And God will bring it to pass if you do not lose heart, the Bible says. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Number three. Is this okay? Number three. Expect encounters. Expect God to move on your behalf. There's nothing sadder to me. Forget people not coming to church. That's not so sad to me. What's really sad to me is people who show up, and I know it's not this church, nudge somebody and say, I know it's not you. I know it's not you. It's not your neighbor. But what really saddens me is people who show up yet don't expect anything from God. It saddens God's heart because faith is what moves and provokes God to do something. When Jesus would heal someone or not heal someone, what would he always say? Do you believe I'm able to do this? When God would heal or God would do a miracle through Jesus' life, Jesus being God, God being Jesus, right? Does everybody, were we established there? When he would do something and move on a person's behalf, it was based on their level of expectancy. So we cannot allow ourselves to go through the motions and show up and worship God and not expect anything to happen. As a matter of fact, the Bible that I read in the book of Acts, every time they got together, both corporately and privately and sought the Lord together, things begin to happen. People would get healed. The dead would get raised. Jesus would ruin uh, um, um, eulogies. You could not have Jesus go to a funeral. He would ruin it altogether. If someone was, you know, battling with a demon, God forbid, Jesus shows up and they get, they get healed and they get delivered. When we come together as believers, we should be expectant for God to move. I don't know about you, but when I come here, even though I might see 30 or 40 people, however many people are in here, when I come in here, this is just for me. I see this place full. I see God changing the city. 
I see God moving on people's behalves. I see marriages being healed. I see sicknesses being dissolved. I see people entering into their destiny. I come here expecting God to do something amazing because he oftentimes moves at, oftentimes moves at the level of your expectation. Amen? This is what separates what hap- what's happening in Africa right now versus what's happening in America. Think crazy things are happening. People are getting healed. Tumors are falling off of people. Excuse me. And then we come over here and they're, they're, these healing evangelists are like, I don't know what's, what's happening in these services. I've seen preachers and I know preachers and I've done it myself. I, I've gone to, to services and I've preached and it seems like there were just crickets in the room. And then you go to another church and preach the very same message and a mini revival takes place. What was the difference? Was the message just different? No, the message wasn't different. The message was the same. It was the level of the expectancy of the people. I can't wait till I walk into a church that is fulfilled, and I know people are hungry, but I mean really hungry, really expectant for God to do something amazing. Amen? In Joel 2.28, it says this. It may or may not be up on the screen. And it, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men see visions. He shall see visions. Amen? In the last days. How many know that we are in the last days? I know people have been preaching it for years and years, but even if it's not not the last days, I think every generation was in their last days, right? You'll you'll get that later. We're in the last days and God is pouring out his spirit in such a way. We must position ourselves for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you cannot, we cannot sit here and serve God and expect to live a mundane life. As a matter of fact, as believers, we should expect for the supernatural to be the normal in our lives. Watch this in Matthew 13, 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus would go to certain cities and he couldn't operate because the level of expectancy That determined him either changing a city or not transforming it. Amen? It was based on the hunger of the people. As I said before, I've I've gone even with pastors and I've seen a radical uh, message preached and that very same message preached somewhere else and it, it not affect the congregation altogether. We have to be hungry. We have to be thirsty people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be filled. How many want to be filled? We must raise the level of our expectancy. I'm just curious in this room, how many people are truly expecting a move of God in their lives? I'm just curious. Amen. An encounter that will change your life. An encounter that changes me personally, you personally from the inside out. An encounter that delivers us from walking around in life with a chip on our shoulders. An encounter that would deliver us from addictions or sinful habits that hold us down an encounter that would change the trajectory of your life, an encounter that would change the patterns of your life, those same things that you continue to find yourself in. We need a radical encounter and a touch from the Lord that changes our lives and changes those around us and changes the city that surrounds us, amen? Because that's the kind of God we serve, a God that wants to encounter us radically, amen? An encounter that would change the trajectory of this church. Believe this, 
when healing signs and wonders begin to break out, we won't have to do any advertising. I promise you that. But I can't do this on my, on my own. I can't do this on my own. I can preach the gospel, but it's up to you, the people, for us to come here and be hungry for God together. That way we can see a corporate move of God. I don't want, just want to see a move of God privately. I want to see a move of God corporately. How many want to see a corporate move of the Holy Spirit? Amen. I want to read this. I know I'm going through a whole lot of scripture today, but I think it's important. In Mark 5, Verse 36 through 42, it will not be up on the screen, but you can write it down for your reference. There are note cards in, the, in your seat backs in front, of you, in front of you if you'd like to take notes. And it says this in Mark 5, verse 36 through 42. As soon as Jesus heard the word of God that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Somebody say, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him in the room except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly because of the death of his daughter, the ruler's daughter. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, listen to that. When he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered the house where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the little girl walked and she was 12 years of age and they were all overcome with great amazement. Jesus put people outside who were not expectant. Now, if I did that here, you guys would be mad at me and never come back, so I'll never do that. But, but sometimes we can interfere with our unbelief. We can interfere in an atmosphere and keep God from moving. I know that may be against some of your theology, and we think God can do whatever he wants to do. He can do whatever he wants to do, but he chooses to work on the expectancy and work through the faith of the people, and that's based on how he moves in a room. Amen? So we have to put all doubt and unbelief outside when we come to church on a Sunday morning and believe for a great awakening, a great miracle for our lives. Expect encounters for our lives. Amen? Hallelujah. Number four, and I'll close with this. Position yourself. If you want an encounter in your life, position yourself. Nudge somebody, not too hard. Just nudge them just a little bit. And say, position yourself. Watch this, John 14, verse 21, as I close. He has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Now watch this. I will manifest myself to him. In the Message Bible, it says this, I will make myself plain to him or her. Alignment is everything in the kingdom. When we love him, when we keep his commandments, when we position ourselves, how do we position ourselves? I quoted this scripture early, earlier, I think in the briefing room. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? This is how we position ourselves. If we're going to see a move of God, if we're going to be encountered by the Lord in, in every area of our life, how many are expecting that? We have to position ourselves spiritually, put things away that we shouldn't be touching, right? Relationships that might interfere or, or, or stifle the presence of God in our lives. Habits, propensities, things that would 
that would kill God's presence in our life because he's holy. So we must rid ourselves of those things. And you can't do that in your own strength. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Just like with the drugs and alcohol, it's not something I could have done on my own. It was by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that he helped me to rid myself of things that he knew would hinder his presence from moving in my life and maybe hindering a move in your life. Amen? That's Psalms 24, verse three through four, by the way. Do you know you can be a business owner and find that place? You can be a stay-at-home mom who's busy raising babies. You can be a full-time student at school. All this busyness, all these things going on around you, and you can still find this place. I'm tired of hearing people say, well, I'm so busy, I don't have time for prayer. When I'm going about my day, I find that secret place in my heart. I can be on the phone, but it, it's not, you know, finding that place is not something external, externally. It's not where I am physically. It's where I am spiritually in my heart. That means I can find that secret place no matter where I am around screaming babies. I got this little area in the house. It's my, well, it's not my living room anymore. It's the baby's living room. I call it stub toe central. It's all kinds of toys. You walk in there at the wrong place at night and you're going to end up on your back. Around crying babies, running a business, doesn't matter what you're doing or how busy you are. If you're a traveling person, if you work in a cubicle, you can still find that place in your heart whereby the Lord is encountering you on a daily basis. Now listen, some people say, you know, well, you know, I had this, this vision, I had this visitation years ago, or God did something for me back then. Listen, that is old wineskins. It's great that we had those experiences. But I thought about this this morning, and I really close. I, I hate when those preachers for 30 minutes, they'll say, I'm getting ready to close. You haven't been around gospel preachers. I'm getting ready to close. I have, I have, I thought about this scripture when Moses um, got this command from God that, God was gonna to begin to send quail. He was gonna send bread each day. And he commanded the people, you guys can come up if you'd like. He commanded the people not to reserve anything. God said, I'm gonna provide for you daily. I'm gonna give, give you manna. I'm gonna give you bread. I'm gonna give you quail. But don't reserve anything. Don't try to preserve anything. I'm gonna send it daily. Everybody say daily. Where they messed up is they begin to try to preserve stuff for tomorrow. But when you try to preserve stuff from the past that God has done, it grows old and it grows mold. Amen? And we cannot rely on yesterday's manna any longer. We need a fresh touch here and now, a fresh awakening, a fresh you know, infusion of the Holy Spirit, a fresh encounter with the Lord, whatever that looks like. Maybe Jesus won't physically appear to you, but is, does that encounter look like your heart being moved by the scriptures? Does that mean, you know, when you're just spending time with him alone and you just feel him breathing his word over you? Do you have those kind of encounters? If you're not, God is wanting to encounter, wanting to encounter you in that type of way that produces an intimate relationship between you and him. That's what Jesus came to do is to rebuild the broken bridge that happened in the Garden of Eden because he encountered God daily. And then the bridge was broken between God and humanity and God sends Jesus to rebuild that bridge so that we can live and walk in the presence of God to have daily relationship with him. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77. 77- 
877-877-977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.